time to set foot inside the morgue with your hosts, Lee, Carl, and Rob. Hello and welcome to the next episode. We're reviewing Candy, which is a 1968 film starring Richard Burton, Marlon Brando, James Kirk, Coburn, and Walter Matthau, and Ringo Starr. Uh, so you'd expect a fantastic film uh, for us to be reviewing today. So I'm going to go through, first of all, what, we've, what have we been watching? Rob, I'll start with you. I've watched um, Kong vs. Godzilla, which I know a lot of people will watch because um, they'll probably put it on if they've got kids and they'll probably watch it in a nostalgia sense. But it really is what the what it says on the box. It's Kong versus Godzilla. It's just, <laughs> it is just watching two big creatures. Um, obviously... They've moved on from Harry House and now it's it's now CGI masterful. But you just see that and they basically bash seven bells out of each other for over an hour. Um, and there's lots of people talking about plots about Middle Earth and living living in the centre of the Earth and a new ecosystem. But um, all you really watch it for is to watch King Kong and a giant dinosaur hitting each other. Um, so if that's your bag, I'd go and watch it. But yeah, I was pretty bored. Um, You've got the old uh, the old Japanese movies for that, haven't you? The uh, yeah. the old Godzilla ones that used to be on Channel Four. Um, they did yeah, well, uh, yeah. What's missing as well? Those old Japanese films. They had charm, um, and they had like you know the effects. You know, were lousy, and that was part of the charm. This is looks too good, but then it's just a waste of everyone's time and money. Uh, and then I've watched the. Um, just out now, the new uh, Mortal Kombat film, uh, which on, uh, <laughs> I won't mention a streaming app, but I watched it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it introduces some of the, anyone who's played the game back in the day, characters like Sub-Zero and stuff. And it's basically Sub-Zero going around killing lots of people. and Fatality. Yeah, and, and to be fair, unlike the other, they did a Mortal Kombat film about uh, well, in the 90s, and they did a couple of them, actually. They've actually... Um, They've brought the they've really cranked up the violence in the R rating. So it's if you do watch it now, there is some pretty brutal deaths in it. Was there lots of uh, hearts being ripped out of chests, Rob? Um, there is lots of there's blood galore, and there is some key moves in the game, and it's uh, so on that side, it's quite fresh. That you know, it's quite often you know, it's quite rare to actually see a film like that where it actually really you know sticks honest with its violence, but. Um, it's not great. It's you have to really love the game to get anything really out of it. Um, but yeah, they're the two I've watched. Uh, Excellent. I mean, I'm sure lots of people will watch them because there's not really much big films out at the moment. But uh, yeah, there they are. So, Carl, over to you. What have you been watching, mate? Um, same as Rob in that I think because of the there's quite a bit of time passed since our last uh, podcast, and um, I've I've, pro- I've seen quite a few films, but I think the most the most recent ones I'll mention. Um, I saw on Amazon Prime and watched The Mule with Clint Eastwood, which I've not seen before, um, which is a film about him as an older guy. Um, he kind of loses his, um, uh, I think he loses his house in a foreclosure. And in order to make some money and also to um, re-endear himself with his extended family and his ex-wife and his uh, daughter and, and uh, his granddaughter as well, he... At, at the beginning takes up a job um as a as a runner but what he doesn't realize at first is that he's he's running drugs um over the country in his in, in his truck and because he's got a clean driving license and a clean record um 
he's he's a he's a perfect kind of target for the uh, for the drug runners because they they know he won't be stopped so he's very very unlikely to be stopped by um you know the uh, kind of the highway patrol in the um in the United States and um it it wasn't bad it's um it's a Clint Eastwood film you know um i think Bradley Cooper's in it as well uh, Lawrence Fishburne is in it how's clint looking uh, clint i mean he's yeah. You know, it was made in two thousand eighteen. He was eighty seven or eighty eight when it was made. He looks he looks like an eighty seven or eight year old eighty eight year old guy. Um but you know, it's it's exactly the right casting. You know, he's kind of like a, a doddery old guy, but he's he's kind of like an old guy who also you know, in the way that old people don't say things and they don't care. Because, yeah. you know, they, they well, he, he does that a lot to like lots of these kind of young abrasive kind of drug dealer types. He says, Oh, I'm not I'm not afraid of you and you know, I I fought in Korea and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and it kind of, it, it kind of, they're not sure about him at first, but they kind of, he kind of ends up winning everyone over. Um, yeah, it's a good film. Not, not bad. Maybe a bit overlong. I thought it could have been truncated. It's just under two hours, but it was uh, a good, good recent effort from, uh, from Clint. I couldn't remember if he directed it or not, but um, he's certainly in it. And uh, yeah, good film. I remember reading a few reviews at the time saying it was a good film. And I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, not bad. And the other one was, um, I went back to the eighties last week for, um, Howard the Duck, um, which I got on, which I got on Blu-ray. Um, and I found myself for two, three hours and I went to my Blu-ray collection. And I thought, right, I'm just taking one out. I didn't look. And there it was in, in my hand, Howard, the Howard the Duck. And it was a film I saw a load in the eighties on video. And I, I managed to see it at the cinema somewhere because I, I think it was on, uh, in, in Butlins, when we went to, to visit Butlins in the late 1980s, and they had films on at the cinema that were like a couple of years old, and Howard yeah. was one of them. So I actually managed to see that one at the cinema back then. Um, and that is the weirdest, 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 weirdest film. As if, okay, I didn't realize it was the first Marvel comic book cinematic film, apparently, according yeah, to some of the extras. Yeah. Um, it's produced by George Lucas. And it's just, you watch it and you just, I think I'm having a bit of a phase of, of watching strange films and thinking, goodness me, there, was, there must be so much cocaine going on in Hollywood in the 1980s for anyone to have at any point of that thought, yeah, this is a winner. This is a winner. Um, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's a bit like Exorcist. I was thinking of Exorcist 2 while I was watching it. It's kind of like, it's not unentertaining, but at the same time, it's just so kind of weird and bizarre and you think, no wonder this totally bombed. Um, I think Flight of the Navigator came out at the same time and kind of, you know, beat the uh, beat it pretty badly at the uh, the box office. I and, must say, um, you know, with films like this, I often wonder that they must have an, an amazing elevator pitch. They must like be able to, you know, sell smell ice to ice smells and just <laughs> in that little moment describing. I mean, even if you just read Howard the Duck's summary, there's no way you can sell that film. I think George right. Lucas had a lot of clout and for yeah. some reason he, he took to this project and originally it was going to be an animation, but he was under contract to Universal to do live action films. So it kind of changed um, into a live action. So it's like a little guy in a duck costume. And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think the character's particularly endearing. I mean, I know he's perhaps he's not supposed to be, um, but it, yeah, it's just a weird film. A couple of strong points. I think it was a bit of a shame because it was a bit of a, it was a starring role for uh, Leah Thompson from, you know, from 80s movies generally. She was in Back to the Future. She was kind of the lead lead role in that. And she's quite good, actually. 
uh, yeah. in that film. But I think the film around her is just um, a bit of a disaster. And Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins, um, goodness me, I'm, I, he's he's in good he's in good films and he's good in some films. But in the How to Duck, he's awful. He's terrible. I mean, he's, he's kind of embarrassing. Um, how on earth he got a career after that, I don't know. Anyway, How, how the Duck, um, well worth a look just for kind of, it's like watching a car crash or a, you know, a snake pit or something. Um, so it's, it's kind of curious, but it's, goodness me, what a strange, strange film. I seem to be making a habit of watching these lately. Yeah. Uh, a bit like a bit like the film we're going to start talking about as well, which uh, yeah. kind of also <laughs> slips, for me, slips yeah. nicely into this, uh, into this category. Um, Lee, what about you? Have you been watching anything else yeah. apart from Candy? Well, I'll keep it short and sweet because um, really what I've been doing in the last month is just finishing The Last Kingdom. So we've watched all four series in the last month and now I'm sort of Viking obsessed and started watching Vikings as well. Have you got Have you got the horn? Have you got the horn for Viking things? Yeah. The, the full spear and shield and everything. Yeah, no, I'm all sorted now for, for Viking gear. <laughs> Good. Now um, that the charity shops are open, you can, you can uh, kind of, um, you can fill your boots. So it's a battle. If you finish uh, Vikings, there's also a series. Um, I think it's a Scandi one called Barbarians. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's Norwegian, so you can watch that as well if you're interested. So if you get really into it. So, and the, the only film I've watched is uh, Nobody, uh, which is only. I don't know if it's actually officially out yet. It could be. A bit, it was a bit of a dodgy link as usual. You two guys. <laughs> <laughs> Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> Lock me up, come on, yeah. Bob Odenkirk, so it's the guy from uh, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, plays, it's kind of like a Liam Neeson kind of role where he's, he's kind of a family man, you know, you don't suspect him to have any kind of skills in the dark arts, but he's obviously a former, it's, a, it's not a great spoiler, but he, he's a former killer for the government, really, an assassin for the government, and he kind of comes to the rescue of a girl on a bus, and then he gets targeted by his criminal gang who go after his family and everything. So, yeah. But he, what I liked about the movie is these, there's a lot of unique fantasies in there. There's a lot of stuff that I've never seen in an action movie before. Got quite a lot of inventive, uh, you know, action scenes in there. So it's definitely worth checking out. Okay. So let's, get, let's launch straight into it. So the plot summary. Uh, Candy Christine is an innocent young girl when she first hears McFisto, an alcoholic Welsh poet, Talk of love and self-sacrifice. Candy narrowly escapes Mephisto's attempt to rape her, only to succumb to her father's Mexican gardener, Emmanuel, played by Ringo. Uh, when her father catches her with a gardener, he banishes her to trip with his twin brother, Uncle Jack, and Jack's wife, Aunt Livia, who are heading to New York City. As Candy makes her way to the airport, Emmanuel's three sisters attack her. She has corrupted her brother. Because of Candy, Emmanuel has now forsaken the priesthood. During the scuffle, Candy's father takes a blow to the head, resulting in a serious head injury. Candy gives in to the general RA smite on the plane in exchange for a blood transfusion for her father. In New York City, an egomaniac brain surgeon operates on her father, uh, while Uncle Jack pursues his own operation on Candy. When Candy banishes him away without notice, Candy is now free to visit Greenwich Village. I wondered whether they would me all this. Uh, where she takes part in a movie by underground movie director Jonathan J. John, JJJ. Uh, it's a pornographic movie shot in a public restroom. Now, yeah, then she meets the hunchback, doesn't she, in that in Central Park, who takes her back to uh, that to the uh, massive mansion, starts leaping around uh, various walls, uh, and then we meet Marlon Brando. It's, it's various episodic uh, parts of the movie. We meet Marlon Brando. 
uh, as the guru, Guru Grindy, and then in, it then leaps to California where we see Candy uh, seeking the great Buddha who will reveal the ultimate stage in a search. She encounters, encounters a filthy hermit who turns out to be uh, somebody quite close to her family member. Man, when a de- deluge destroys me. the temple and washes the her- hermit clean, Candy recognises that the hermit is really her wandering father. Again, Candy runs away to more trouble. The final time, however, she finds herself in a hippie orgy reuniting with her past sexual partners. Okay, so there we go. So, uh, Lee, uh, first of all, well, well done. Uh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm really glad you had to do that because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if I could have researched or found anything to kind of. Um, there's, there's, like you said, it's a kind of sequence of vignettes, isn't it? It's not bizarre a, events. Yeah. It's kind of not a particularly coherent narrative. Uh, it's kind of just like you know, things happen to link one sequence to the next rather than a kind of organic, organic story. I think. So well done. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm scared of saying this, and I will probably will say it a few times. But I was actually considering if it is the worst film I've ever seen. Um, and then I thought, if I say that tonight, and anyone hears this, that's like an advertisement, isn't it? It's like when um, Mark Kermel ranted about Pirates of the Caribbean for about twenty minutes, how terrible it was, and I think he probably probably increased viewing figures. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like the you know it's the Exorcist two or the the How the Duck effect. It's like I want to I want to see it just to see you know just how just how bad this thing is or how weird this thing is. I think I am, definitely like I said before, this film definitely falls into that category. When the film first opens, like you know, it's quite an interesting opening, isn't it? You see it coming from space and you know setting it, and then and then of course you are blown away at first by you know the cast in this. There's some amazing actors in it, and then. If you start questioning the narrative, you start thinking, oh, perhaps I'm just being too stiff. I'm so used to films having a, you know, a linear plot. I'm used to beginning, middle, end. And then, and then before, and then I realise I'm not being stiff. I just want some coherence. It's like, it's almost like listening to, um, when you're watching, it's like listening to really unpleasant jazz. Uh, and, and they have like, the soundtrack for this film is great, but it jars. The music sometimes is like this jarring acid rock in the background of these little scenes. And you have to watch the film in that sense. You have to watch it in those little pockets and um, not be too, yeah. Lee, perhaps you could explain what kind of led us to this film in the first place. Well, um, basically, I had a bundle of records and one of them was the Candy soundtrack. And um, I listened to it. I wasn't aware of the film, wasn't aware of the book listen to the soundtrack, like the soundtrack. Oh, no, it's a pretty good soundtrack. You've got the, the birds on there. And... I thought the soundtrack was was by far the best part of the film. I mean, the the song that that kind of closes at the end um, yeah. the, by, by the birds, I think it's called, I'd heard it before, because oh, I've got some birds um, uh, CDs, and it's called Child of the Universe, that song. And I didn't, re- I never mm. knew it was kind of part of, part of a film. Um, but if you listen to the lyrics of that, it kind of sums up the film in some way. Um, but that was so. That was kind of something new to me. Child of the Universe is a great song, which they put at the end. I kind of viewed it almost like an extended music video to the to the soundtrack. Almost. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I'll check out this film. I don't care if it's crap. I saw it was like five point three out of ten. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it a watch anyway. The soundtrack is is really a piece of work. I mean, it's it's is a good soundtrack. There's lots and lots of good good records on this. 
Um, also, I mean, um, on a, you know, overall, in who, who's Candy, she's like a, she's stunning, isn't she? she? I mean, that's why she got the part. Obviously, she was a 17-year-old when she got the part. And she, uh, she just, she's meant to play it completely um, just like doe-eyed and um, vacant. And she, yeah. she has no acting chops whatsoever, but I don't think she's actually given anything where she can perform. No, I think she might be dubbed as well because um, what I didn't realise until the end of this film is that it's an Italian-French um, co-production. Um, so I, and, and she ended up starring in a few um, kind of con- continental thrillers. Um, so I, I think her dialogue might have been dubbed because she's Swedish, isn't she? She is, yeah. I don't know if she, yeah. it was, though, because I saw that kind of little making of um, documentary on YouTube and it did sound like her voice that on the, the making it of it. That's true, actually. Yes, you, you've got a point. Yeah, may, so maybe she's not dubbed after all. But it's I, almost... I mean, I, I agree with you about the dialogue because one of the things I know, know it is kind of like most of Candy's dialogue is things like, you know, the male characters will say something um, and she'll either respond by repeating what they say, you know, oh, we, 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 we need to go to the park, a rubber dub dub. And then, yeah. or, or she'll say something yeah. like, oh, I don't understand. <laughs> so she either kind of repeats what they say it's... or says, I don't understand. That's most of her dialogue. I was trying to forgive it that it was like um, almost like a male fantasy in the sense that, you know, there is this like, you know, this, this Scandi beauty who's just like, uh, who's just so enamored by these men she meets that she's willing to be with them. But yeah. it's. Um, and that's you know it's almost like you know the, like you get you get the stereotype don't you like the backpacker the uh, who stays like the, the, vis- the visitor from space theme I mean the the, yeah. the first scene is I I took it to mean that you know she's she's a visitor from space but then all of a sudden she's like um, you know she's a daughter um, her, her you know her, and her dad's also her teacher and she's at school. So that kind of jarred as well because it was like, well, is she a, is she an alien visitor or, or is she not? And actually, I've, I've, I found um, a link to a previous podcast that we did. Deep yeah. in the deep in the credits at the end of the film, uh, the opening and uh, closing credit sequences were designed by. Does anyone know? Um, no, is it the guy who did behind? Uh, what was that sci-fi one we did? <laughs> go on, <laughs> go on. Uh, the two thousand and one guy, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Douglas yeah, Trumbull yeah. did the uh, did the um, it, yeah. opening and closing kind of space uh, credit sequences. So that was an interesting wrinkle, which I uh, another thing I wasn't aware of. It's interesting that it came out in sixty eight, of course, and that's you know Barbarella. You know, oh, yes. Barbarella is its competitor, but Barbarella's got far more uh, going. I mean, Barbarella is quite a trippy film, anyway. But you've got Jane Fonda as well. You can carry; she can carry being a lead actress. Um, yes. This film took a massive risk. You know, a complete unknown who's never done any acting, seventeen-year-old, and it is about the it's about the cameos, isn't it? It's cameo yes. to cameo on this, and it's a, a word up cameo. <laughs> but it's but it is like yeah. it's like oh, there's there's Walter Matthau, there's Marlon Brando, there's there's Richard Burton. Um, some of some of these people come off better than others, don't they? But it's what they get these actors to do. I mean, Richard Burton, um, he's lying on the floor, lapping up. Um, is he lapping up alcohol off the floor? When I he think it's like whiskey, alcohol? isn't it? He's got a whiskey yeah. um, optic in the back of his uh, stretch car, whatever it is. I don't know if it's a limousine. 
Um, but yeah, so he, he kind of pours one, doesn't he? And he absolutely necks it as yeah. quick as you like. And then he starts kind of, uh, as soon as he's done that, it gives him the courage to um, kind of start assaulting Candy uh, but in the back he, of the car. He turns his attention onto a plastic dummy, doesn't he? And oh, so they got Richard Bertamon. Richard Bertamon, one of the great 20th century actors, um, doing simulated sex with a dummy. Um, <laughs> whilst Ringo Starr is lying on top of someone, on top of Candy, and uh, getting his merry way. But, uh, I mean, that, that scene alone, uh, actually, if you, I watched the trailer for the film as well. I don't know if you've seen that as well. Um, and that is one of the key scenes. They show a little clip of that in the trailer. Right. Uh, of course, they, 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 they want to, in the trailer, they probably show all the, all the stars, don't they, to make sure that people yeah. um, go and see it if they're a Burton fan or if they like James Colburn or if they like Charles Aznavour, if, uh, if, any, if any of those <laughs> people are out there. I don't know who's uh, a curious, uh, curious character, wasn't he? Guys, did you both watch the two-hour-plus version? I did, sadly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we said last week in the last edition that this – this also runs for 90 minutes in some versions. Um, I can't help thinking personally that I'd, I'd rather have watched that now in retrospect, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not sure if it's available anywhere. And what, what I would say to people, if you, if you do want to watch it, um, there's two versions on YouTube and it's not the subscribed YouTube, just normal YouTube um, available. Cause, uh, yeah, I watched it on YouTube. I, yeah. That's what I saw as well. So, um, Actually, the, the the book that Candy's based on is by um, a chap called Terry Southern, and they they'd made another film of one of his books the following year called The Magic Christian, that also hmm. had Ringo Starr in it and uh, Peter Sellers. And I think although that's not a classic film, it's it's a lot better at kind of interpreting um, Terry Southern's work. Although I haven't said that, I haven't read Candy, but I have read The Magic Christian, um, and um, as a film. The Magic Christian's better, but it kind of takes the same approach. It's got like lots of little star appearances by yeah. um, by um, people like Yul Brynner and Roman Polanski, who just turn up for like little cameos. A Spike Milligan and and, and uh, people like that. I can't remember any more off the top of my head, but um, yeah. So there's they kind of made Candy, and then they made the Magic Christian uh, the following year. You know, kind of which was a very similar way, and obviously Ringo Starr again. Um, it's quite strange seeing you know, Marlon Brando's trying to do comedy, isn't it? Uh, yes. Because he plays like a guru, and he's uh, he's got a blacked out face. Which I uh, think he's, he was really yeah. enthusiastic, um, Marlon Brando. But I just don't think he's. You know, like some people are funny and some people are not. I don't yeah. think Marlon Brando has got comic chops, and, yeah, I, and I think that's exposed a bit in, in that scene that he's in. Although he's he's kind of trying to, you know, he's giving it his all. I think he's he's very enthusiastic for it, but he, he's just not got funny bones. Um, yeah, it's uh... yeah. So, um, that, I mean, the, the one of the first things I noticed when the film started as well that the um, that Candy's dad is played by John Astin, who was um, who played Gomez in the Adams Family, you know, the yes, TV show. Yeah, um, and that kind of threw me straight away because I thought, oh, he's uh, he's playing someone different. <laughs> um, That's the point. Yeah, yes, I guess somebody, so. Yeah. No, I mean, when somebody's played a part so well, it's hard to see them as anything else, isn't it? Yes, um, it really you know, is. I, 
I get to see Gomez as well all the way through. <laughs> and I'm not sure I like what I saw, especially especially towards the end. Well, yeah, yeah, our our friend, our friend Roger Ebert, um, was the only person who I could find who kind of had a positive word to say for this movie. I think he gave it three stars, and he said, he did. It's, "It's a lot better than you might expect." Um, what he was expecting, goodness only knows. But that's but I actually managed to find Rod, Roger Ebert's review of it, um, which was um, yeah, he quite liked it. It was the only really positive one I could find. Yeah, I, I really love There again, if you go on IMDb and you go on um, actually YouTube, the comments section, some people love this film. You know, it's, um, but I think it's almost like a perverse thing to say you love this film. Just kind of uh, <laughs> to say, you know, that you understand it deeper than all those ignorant people who just uh, keep on complaining that there's no plot and uh, this, this terrible performances. I mean, it's, but, it's uh, possible. It's possible. It might make more sense if you've read the book. Yes. Um, yeah. But I, I, I honestly couldn't couldn't say because I haven't read it. Um, Lee or Rob, have you have you read the book? Or it's probably out of print. I'm guessing at the moment. No, but I believe it's more rock in the film. I think it's supposed to go even further. I think than the the film does. I think. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. It's it's. it's I mean, it probably would. Probably fill in the gaps, would it? I mean, there is lots of gaps. Is there? Just, uh, <laughs> but um, it probably would help, actually. I mean, the film, in terms of its artistry, I think you know, there's some, there's probably some interesting fil- filmmaking techniques going on within this film. You know, there's like there's lots of kind of surrealism that that is kind of quite prevalent in '60s films um, during that period, and you know, like kind of zooms and things like that. Um, so I mean, it's not completely artless this film, um, but I mean, my 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 big concern that it was just it kind of just went on too long, and it was kind of it was very unclear in what it was in what the kind of the message of the film was. I know films don't always have to have a message, but I I wasn't sure what to take from it because is it about the you know the awakening of a young girl? There's mm. there's possibly some some of that. A lot of it for me seemed like middle-aged guys, you know, getting their rocks off with a with a seventeen-year-old girl, you know, because in a lot of scenes she she was in the nude, um, you know, with with these older guys, probably surrounded by, you know, older guys in the mayor, in the in the cast and crew. Um, so I just I just kind of wonder what the, you know, what the vibe on set <laughs> was. Yeah, I mean, um, the big message the big message is is that despite how because every single person she meets are quite accomplished. They're like uh, successful poets, or they are surgeons, and they're supposed to be experts in what they do. Yeah. But outside of that, they are just baseless, horny middle-aged men. Um, yeah. Who just can't? They can't see past her. You know the way she looks. And, no, and and uh, I can see um, there's, some, there's some value in that. I can see, but yeah. at the end of the day, like what I, I do wonder, like what. Are we as a viewer supposed to kind of take or learn from it? Um, you know, it's granted. You know, they probably, you know, Candy probably would fall to the advances of middle-aged men who were like, you know, successful professionals. Um, and well, it's probably, probably some kind yeah. of commentary on that. But it's it's kind of a it's kind of a depressing thing, bit of a depressing thing to take away, I suppose, from the movie. I mean, and the the thing about her coming from space at the beginning, 
well, she ends up kind of walking past all of her kind of ex ex lovers and nearly lovers at the end of the film. We're all having like you know, the, as Lee mentioned before, like the hippie <laughs> orgy slash party, and Marlon Brando's levitating in the air, although you can see the wires because of high definition. And um, and she ends up going back to space, and that's the end of the film. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I, I do think the film might have been better if they'd played on the outer space theme a bit more. Um, you know, with her being like maybe some kind of intergalactic visitor and finding out about, you know, um, life on Earth, I suppose. Do we know how well it did at the uh, did at the box office, Carl? Have you got any numbers for us? Yeah, well, it did really well. Um, although, um, so budget was two point seven million. This is according to um, I think I got this from Wikipedia. Two point seven million spend. And it made sixteen point four million at the box office. So, I mean, in in kind of bottom line terms, it, it seemed to make a profit. But then I was reading something that James Colburn had said about the film, and he said that um, it was one of the only films that he'd made where he kind of made money on it, apart from you know the the, the fee that you get paid, um, because he'd he'd signed on as like you know a profit participant, and because it made lots mm. of profit. He was he was paid like uh, quite a bit of money, and I think that is how they got everyone else involved. So Richard Burton was on um, profit participation. I think Ringo Starr probably was, and you know Marlon Brando and so on. And so what actually happened, even though ostensibly it's it's a profit making film, they ended up paying a lot of money out to um, you know to, to the big stars of the film. Who and ultimately, I think they ended up either just you know kind of breaking breaking even really. Um, but on on paper, it's a film that's made um, you know a fair bit of profit. But because of the profit participation of the stars, who you know they kind of use that as a hook to get them involved, um, they ended up not making not making too much money on this. Um, but yeah, it was a popular film. I think I also read it was like the tenth um, most watched film of nineteen sixty eight in the UK, uh, like the the box office yeah, for that year. Um, yeah, so like lots of people went to see this, um, and it's it's kind of strange to think that this was you know if you think of what <laughs> what would be number ten in the uh, UK box office like this year or you know in, uh, maybe two or three years ago it would be nothing like a film like Candy like very experimental mm. and uh, surreal. Um, guys, we need to, we need to talk about Ringo Starr uh, because <laughs> we haven't mentioned him at all uh, and. We've we all mentioned his performance as the Mexican gardener, and um, his line is his first, his opening line is he sees Candy uh, getting out with um, getting out of the car with Richard Burton on he's on his hands and knees he's you know he's covered in whiskey <laughs> whatever he's supposed to be, and uh, he's from behind the bush that he's kind of tending to, he says this no good, <laughs> and. Although it's kind of amusing, and I, I expect he was probably encouraged to do this, um, I don't know. It's a it's, it's an a odd it's an odd performance. It's kind of very mannered um, performance, yeah. which at first is amusing, and I think as it goes on, it just becomes a little bit tiresome. What did you think of Ringo in this film? Because he's actually still in the Beatles when um, when he when he made yeah. this, which I didn't which I didn't quite twig when I was watching it. Well, to him, to me, it's a Scouse Mexican accent he's doing <laughs> because he can't hide his, yeah, 
it's cars. And uh, it's almost like somebody said how good he was in Hard Days and that he believed it. Um, <laughs> he, he is good in that, to be fair, but he's playing himself. Ooh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, not a, it's not a great stretch. Yeah, the the yeah. funny thing is that he he went on in um, in 1971. He went to uh, I think he went to Italy or Spain and made a film called Blind Man, which was a spaghetti western, and and in that he plays a Mexican uh, a Mexican bandit. And I've, I saw it years ago, and I think he, he's a little better in that. You know, he's he's not any of the kind of these no good lines, but it's it's a, yeah, very scouse <laughs> Mexican kind of hybrid, especially in the English version. You know, in the in the international dubs, he can probably get away with it. Um, so yeah, from the strength of this, he was hired to play <laughs> a Mexican villain. So someone must have been impressed. <laughs> it's very very funny. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it must have been easy to get some. Basically, when you say to Ringo Starr, "Oh, by the way, Richard Burton, um, you know, Marlon Brando, all these great stars are in it," you probably jumped at it, and you get to have your leg over with it. <laughs> Although true. for him, he is in the Beatles, wasn't it? So I'm yes. sure the Beatles had plenty of opportunity anyway. Should we go through to the uh, the morgue votes? Is that where you are? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's. Pretty, I think it's pretty obvious that um, I did. I've considered it the worst film I've ever seen, and it's in my top ten. I, I remember seeing an Art Garfunkel film um, where he, yes, he commits he commits necrophilia. That's a is a seventies film. What's that? Film that, that's there? bad timing from nineteen eighty. Yeah, bad timing is up there. That's in my top ten. I think well. I watched that with you, Rob. In, in, in my student house. <laughs> so bad timing <laughs> and, and candy would be like my worst double bill. Um, yeah, for me, it's one of the worst. Uh, I mean, apart from it's it's quite interesting to see these these great actors in this. Um, because a lot of them are miscast and um, have obviously been uh, drugged up um, to wander on set and appear in it. Um, or paid in booze. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like everyone else escapes in the morgue, apart, apart from the main actress Ava, whose career floundered after this. And it's it, what a way to start, though. I mean, like a first picture like this, and it's it's so exploitative, and it's it just it sits really uncomfortably. It's got incest, it's got um, rape, and it's all done for laughs, but the laughs don't really work. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, the zombies completely feast on this one. I think it's it's lower than Payder. Um, <laughs> it makes Payder look not actually Payder could never be a masterpiece, but it looks makes Payder look like an okay film. So yeah, for me, sadly, yeah. Although I appreciate some parts, is uh, yeah, it's a film I'll never return to. So yeah. <laughs> Firmly in the morgue so far. Okay, um, I would. Yeah, this one's very problematic uh, for for me to watch now. It's it's too long for a start. It needs to be eighty five minutes, ninety minutes tops. Um, two hours, four minutes, way too long for a film that doesn't really have a clear, coherent message or structure. Um, I, you know, I think we all said that at the forty minute mark, we were like, you know, is this still going? And there's eighty minutes to go. Um, it really does kind of drag its heels. Um, it, it has a couple of things. I think I think the lead actress uh, Eva Owlin is she's she's game. She's willing. I think she looks the part. You know, she's very beautiful. And um, but it, it, again, you know, she's seventeen. It's like 
yes, well, as the viewer, you, you're kind of looking at her in this kind of objective, objective way. And, you know, sitting as a, a as a person who's as old as I am, um, that that kind of is is kind of, you know, quite an uncomfortable um, feeling. I mean, I, I always say this, but I'm, I'm not a prude. You know, I, I, I do appreciate like, you know, <laughs> extreme cinema at certain junctures here and there. But yeah, I don't know the, the subject matter for me. It's not handled um, confidently enough not to feel exploitative and not to feel like it's a load of, you know, uh, middle-aged guys on a film crew ogling this girl who's, who's const- who's often in the nude or, you know, having a, having a clothes torn off. Um, so yeah. Um, good things. The soundtrack's great. I mean, I, I'd say the soundtrack definitely, um, soundtrack's a classic. Um, I, I, I quite appreciated listening I, I thought the end of the film it, it, it pulls a bit of a trick because because of the kind of animated space credits at the end and the birds on the soundtrack singing Child of the Universe, I th- it's kind of a, a bit of a... It could have sent some people out thinking, I wonder if this happened to Roger Ebert, it might have sent some people out thinking, you know what, there wasn't a bad film because it kind of ends <laughs> in quite a strong way. Um, so... Yeah, um, and the, the whole thing at the end with her, you know, the who who was the guy who was covered in, um, not the guru, um, the, oh, the dad, the, yeah. What what is a dad to start with? He's kind of like this guy who's covered, who's like you know, kind of crusted over, and um, yeah, she ends up basically, you know, having sex yeah. with her dad. You're like. Come on, what this we've led? This is the this is the pardon my pun the climax of the film. No, yes, no, <laughs> no, um, no. At that point, it's like whatever you were possibly leading up to, you've 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 let you certainly lost me here. Um, so I'm afraid, and I'm really reluctant these days to put films into the morgue because I always think, oh, there's some kind of level of art or creativity involved and i think with this film that there is on some levels but as as an entire overall package no i won't be going back to this one and um yeah this one's got to go to the morgue for me okay so great soundtrack um i think the first 20 minutes 25 minutes are pretty good for if you're a beatles fan sort of checking out ringo and his his bad spanish accent (laughs) uh i think as you referred to carl in the last sort of five ten minutes on the sort of festival on the field with Marlon Brando being hoisted as Christ and the the, <laughs> uh, the uh, forever eternal youth injections being given out by James Coburn, you know, it's worth checking out for the, for the, for the beginning and the end. But the, the middle part is pretty flabby, isn't it? Yeah, it does kind of get lost and you, it loses your attention, doesn't it? I mean, I think, I'm trying to think why I kind of chose this film now. Um, it's, I'm, I'm regretting my choice, but I think I just chose it because it was so bizarre and there were so many yeah. weird... Yeah. We need to choose films like this. It's good because, yeah. you know, we can't yeah, choose good films all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I think lately we have been picking films that we've 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 allowed to escape from the morgue for various reasons, but there are some yeah. films that need to be in there. <laughs> I did say last week it's a bad film, but it will spark some debate, um, which it has done. Uh, but yeah, I think the the soundtrack gets um, you know a full release into the charts right now, and the the film gets sent into the morgue and buried in the car park. 
That's right, yeah, because they, they exist as separate entities. The soundtrack can survive, yeah. but I'm afraid the film needs to... Yeah. Needs to go in the morgue and hang out with pay dirt and run away and uh, maybe uh, maybe we give a, a pass to Ringo. We allow Ringo to leave. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think he adds to this, does he? Really? He's kind he's of part terrible. of it. He's he's like a willing yeah. conspirator. He's no good. That's his entire comment on the film. Maybe that's maybe changes on dialogue. <laughs> okay, Candy. Right in 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 the morgue. Then go. um, good. We've got another so, one for the morgue. Um, so I was thinking for for the next one, I w- I'm I'm a bit torn because I'm trying to think of things that we've not covered. Um, I was, but, um, one of the ideas I did have was kind of martial arts, and at the beginning of our uh, in our pre pod talk, we were talking about kind of um, comic book movies. Now you're talking about Mortal Kombat, so I'm going to go back to 1994, and um, we're gonna we're gonna look at the um, Jean Claude Van Damme. Magnum Opus, um, Street Fighter, the movie. Um, oh, excellent. So we'll do, that one. we'll do that one next. Yeah, with Kylie Minogue and... Uh, Ra- oh, it's Raul Julia's last film as well. He plays uh, Bison. Um, yeah. I haven't seen it, so it'll, it'll, be a blind, it'll be a blind one for me. What about you guys? I don't think I've ever... I've seen parts of it, so yeah, for me it will be the first time to watch the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I managed to avoid it all this time. <laughs> it was it was Street Fighter from '94 or Super Mario Brothers. So I think I think Street Fighter was oh. kind of martial art content and action oh. kind of slant. Uh, that is the, oh, the Super Mario is terrible. So please no, <laughs> please no. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we'll do next time. Okay, guys. Well, it's been it's been fun, and uh, I hope hope it hasn't traumatized you too much that film. So go go away and have some candy. <laughs> have some fun. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.